The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Strange but true. You'll see some of you that are newer there going, what is all this stuff up on the stage? What we tried to do here is create like a museum exhibit of strange but true stories from the Bible, little uh, symbols of those stories, and we'll be talking about those throughout uh, this summer. Uh, but in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 4, those of you here last week, it was one of the strangest stories in the Bible about God's ark, the box, the gold ark of God uh, that symbolized the presence of God, how important it was, how it got captured, taken by, the, by people that are awful, degenerate, despicable people, and crazy things happen, and you can go listen to last week's message when you get a chance for the context of this. But the Philistines don't want anymore because, man, they, crazy things happen to them. And so they send the ark back on a wagon with <laughs> rats, golden rats, and golden hemorrhoids. Seriously. It's in the Bible. I'm not making that stuff up. It was, it's there. I'm not sure how. Yeah, it's, I, I won't go any farther in any of that. But that's the story. And so they, the, the box comes back because they don't want it anymore. And uh, find 1 Samuel chapter 6. It tells us in verse 13 that all these great things happened. They brought it back, put up on this big massive rock in this field. They had a celebration. God's back. We got our ark back. This is awesome. This is amazing. And it says here at the end of chap- uh, verse 18, it says, The large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they set the ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened there. Yes, the ark is back. And then the party goes off the rails. But God, the Lord, killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And there's the big understatement, and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? That's a whole message in and of itself. Who's able to stand before God? Where can we send the ark from here? So they get rid of it. They send it off to a place called Kiriath-Jerim. And it tells us in chapter 7, it says, During this time all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. I don't know if that's you today maybe. I feel like there's something's going on in your life. It feels like, look, we brought the ark back and we have God back in our lives. How come it's not going better? When it feels like I'm doing everything right and it's not going right. And so Samuel, who is the, he's the de facto kind of like president king of the country. Because Israel is not a monarchy or a democracy and not even a dictatorship. It's a, call, it's a theocracy. God's in charge. And the highest level of human authority for them would have been the priest that oversaw everything there. And so it tells us in chapter 7, verse 3, Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you're really serious, I have that underlined in my Bible. It might be a good idea for you too. Because are you really serious, or are you just going to bring God out of the box when you get in a, in a pickle again? If you're really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Asherah, And I have this next few words underlined as well. Determine to obey only the Lord. 
Then he'll rescue from the Philistines. So they got rid of everything here. Here's the deal. Are you really serious? Here's how you make sure the party in your life stays on the rails. First of all, you have to determine. You have to determine to do something. You can't just be like, well, if it works out, if I kind of, want, if I kind of just kind of hope it all just happens for me, Nothing's ever going to happen for you that's worthwhile in your life if you just kind of, eh, maybe it happens or not. It has to be a determination, a commitment to it. And then it's, it's, here's, here's what it is. Determine to obey everything, not just the stuff that you like and the stuff that you agree with. Because come, what's the little harm of a little bail idol in your corner of your world? You go to church, you tithe, you're in a small group. What's the problem with having a little side thing? God goes, no, no, no. Determine to obey everything and only me. Now, we have to fast forward here some time here because Samuel is, the, is the, the priest, the leader of the country. The people come to Samuel and go, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. We want a king. And they say it long enough like your seventh grade daughters and they just nag and nag and nag. God goes, all right, give them a king. I'm going to give them what they want. They're going to find out not going to be a good deal for them. First king they decide to pick is a disaster. His name's Saul. He's a mess. Insecure. Terrible guy. God, God goes, I'm done with you, pal. And he finds this little kid sitting over there in a field. Just sitting there. He's not, he's not even brought out. When they do the, when they do the um, IsraelNeedsAKing.com big audition thing, when they do all that, they bring all these people out. You know what David's doing? He's back in the back taking care of stuff that nobody, because they don't, well, not that guy. And God goes, that's the one I want. And David becomes the greatest king Israel ever has until Jesus shows up. But with David, he had uh, enemies against him. <laughs> Saul didn't like him because the, he was a popular leader. Saul hated him. Saul tries to kill him a bunch of times to execute him. And David's on the run. In fact, there's a great little story. We probably could have put it in here, but I'm not sure we would. Well, the, the little icon for this that had been really embarrassing. But one time David is out uh, running from Saul, and he's in a cave out in the wilderness, and Saul's coming after him with his whole army, and Saul has to go take a leak in the cave. Guess where the, guess where the cave is that he's going to take the leak in, where David and his army is. So whilst, uh, well, literally, while Saul's taking a leak, David goes up with a knife and cuts off a corner of the guy's robe. That's awesome. He goes, hey, Saul, guess what I got? He goes, ah, whatever. Uh, and, and, then, so, and then David becomes the king, and then he's got uh, not just enemies inside his kingdom, and enemies outside. He's got the Philistines, he's got the Syrians, he's got the Moabites, the Amalekites, he's got external enemies. And so for David now, who's now the king, his question, you'll see it in your note sheet, is who's against us? To identify what's, what's out there. Guys, can, you make, can we just be honest, Eddie, for a bit? Are there some people against us right now? Yeah, and if we're not careful, we'll get so preoccupied about the enemies outside there against us or even the worst kind of enemies, don't you know this, is the enemies that are part of your own family or part of your own company or sadly, and it's even happened here. Those of you that love our church, you haven't been here long enough. There are people here in this church who will become your enemies because they'll be jerks and morons to you. They just will. It's terrible. And that's the worst kind of thing. You go, oh, all these enemies out there. And the question David wrestles with is not, not who is against us. In fact, cross out who is against us 
And, and right above that thing, not who's against us, but who is among us. Who's among us? Because David goes, we got to get the Ark of God's Covenant, that, that symbol of God. We want God's presence to be central to everything that we do. And so rather than focus on the enemies around you, enemies against you, think about the God who's with you, the God who is among you. And so he goes, let's go get that Ark. And so in 2 Samuel, so this is 1 Samuel, just one book to the right, 2 Samuel, chapter 6. He says, let's go get the ark. And they go get, you can see it here, verse 3. They place the ark of God on a new cart. I mean, decked out, brand new, beautiful, all the trappings, all the stuff that makes it look, you know, crazy great stuff on it. And they bring it in, and there's a party going on. And finally, okay, we got this right. And these people love God. We're bringing back God central to our life. That's what we're going to do. And then the party goes off the rails again. <laughs> Look at verse 6. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nechon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and studied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. And I read that and I go, come on, dude. Give me a break. This is not a guy out there peeking into the ark, trying to be all oh, crazy about it. This is a guy, there's an ark on there. He loves God, serving God. He sees it, the, 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 uh, the cart hits a little pitfall, something there, uh, and decides to go, keep it straight. Got to get struck dead right there. And it tells us in the next verse, in the next verse here, it says, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. You know what? I'm angry. I'm going, come on. All he did was touch this ark, and he, he wasn't trying to be goofy or crazy. He wasn't stealing anything. He wasn't doing crazy, bizarre. All he did was touch the ark to protect it, to take care of it. These two stories of people getting killed by God because they didn't treat the ark right, disturb me a little bit. They frustrate me. I don't like them very much. And here's what I want to tell you today. It's easy to believe the Bible when it tells us how to fix our family and how to have good relationships. From time to time, when you go through this Bible, when you come to church, you're going to hear stuff and read stuff that you don't like. And what we want to do when that happens is to go, that's it, I'm done. What's happening in modern-day Christianity is this kind of little cottage industry called, I'm deconstructing my faith. Let's deconstruct, deconstruct. And so everybody, that's kind of a cool, hot buzzword. Everybody's kind of, oh, everybody's doing it. Like, everybody started wearing leisure suits in the 70s. That was a bad idea, too. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, when I find stuff I don't like and frustrates me, I take a moment there to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's look at that because there might be something there that's completely out of step with what I feel and what I think or what the culture around me thinks and feels. And maybe God's trying to go, I'm trying to get your attention here so you don't end up making a mess out of your life. And here's the other thing too. For those of you that are newer to faith and spirituality and Christianity, 
Uh, a lot of times you'll hear, you'll watch National Geographic specials, History Channel specials, or take freshman religions courses at universities, and they will tell you things like, this Bible you have here, you can't really trust it. It was just some people that wanted to get a thing to get a bunch of people and get power for themselves and money for themselves to make a religion to control people. And I'm telling you right now, if that's the case, you wouldn't put those stories in here. Because I'm going, if that's the deal, you can have that God. I want a God who's going to bless me and give me magic fairy dust for my life and make everything go wonderful and beautiful for me. I don't want that kind of God. You wouldn't put that stuff in here. Now, here's the thing. You're still going, okay, so what's the big deal, Steve? They... Because they love God. They just wonder what's in there. And to make sure it didn't fall over, he went, Ook, and he got struck dead. What's the deal with that? Keep something here in Samuel and find the book of Numbers. It's to the left in your Bibles. Uh, it's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Find Numbers chapter 4. Num the Genesis through Deuteronomy kind of tell the story of the beginning of things and how God calls Abraham out and chooses people for himself. Uh, they've led him out of Egypt, and they're now out in the wilderness, and he has them set up like a tabernacle. It's not, not a temple yet because they're portable. So it's a big, massive, kind of like circus tent almost kind of thing with all these sacred objects and instruments, the table of showbread, uh, the, the uh, candles, the Ark of the Covenant, big, huge barriers in between the Holy of Holies and the Most Holy Place and those kind of things. Numbers chapter... Four. In Numbers chapter 4, it says it this way. Look at verse 6. It says, They must cover the inner curtain with a fine goatskin leather and spread over that a single piece of blue cloth. And it says here, Finally, they must put the carrying poles of the ark in place. You'll see up here on this little ark we have here, there's carrying poles here. You'll see back here the, this one that's a bigger one back here. On the bottoms here, if you can see, there's a place there for poles. They didn't pay attention to that. Back when they were bringing the ark back in, they put it on, an, on a wagon. Yeah, a beautiful wagon. All decked out. Probably, probably cuter and cooler and more fun than just carrying it. And then it says in verse, uh, in verse 15, at the end of it, it says, They must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. So these are the things from the tabernacle that the Kohathites must carry. So God has said here, put this on poles. Do not touch it. And don't touch it because, oh, you know, it's the sacred thing of God. Don't touch it or I'm going to kill you. You'll die if you come into pray, in contact with the holy presence of God that's symbolized by this ark. And just in case we didn't get it right, find Numbers uh, chapter 7. Just a couple chapters to the right. Number 7. It tells there about a time they're packing everything up because they're going to move to a new place out in the wilderness before they get to Israel. And they're putting all the thing on wagons because it's big, massive tarps and tents and all kinds of instruments and gear and stuff like that. And, and then he tells them this. Look at verse, verse 9. But he gave none of the wagons or oxen to the Kohathite division. They're a part of the, the Levite tribe that are the priests since they were required to carry the sacred objects of the tabernacle on their shoulders. God had made it very, very clear. Don't touch this and don't put it on wagons. Carry it. 
And because they thought, well, you know, what's the big deal about the Bible? Can't we just do what we feel? We're, we're sincere. We're good-hearted people. God will look past all that stuff. Uh, write, write this down today. This is be difficult for some of us to hear. But ignorance will not excuse disobedience. Ignorance will not excuse disobedience. Look, even when you're going to say, well, I didn't mean to. It was an accident, God. No, and here's the one. Come on, God. You know my heart. I had good intentions. All that stuff and more, God. And here's the deal. To be honest, to be really careful about this, over and over again in our scriptures, over and over again, God lets people do dumb, stupid, wrong things, and they get away with it. They get away with it over and over and over again, hoping, are they going to get their Bibles out? Are they going to see how to do marriage, finances, conflict resolution, uh, addiction kind of issues? Are they going to handle sexual purity the right way? Are they going to do it the right way? And over and over again, we do it wrong, and then all of a sudden, there's consequences. They go, God, what are you doing here? God goes, look, 375 times you got away with it, and you thought that my permission meant my approval. It just doesn't, even when God lets us get away with it. So ignorance will not excuse disobedience. Now, some of you go, well, if you're thinking about this and you're paying attention here, go, well, wait a minute. So you're saying, if I don't know about the rules and I break them, I'm in trouble? What about people over in and some village, some place in the middle of Asia or Africa who've never had a Bible, who've never heard about God, who never heard that? That's a great question that we're not going to be able to answer today because of the focus here. But here's the deal. That ain't going to be your excuse, pal. You have right now access, probably in your own home, at least one Bible, maybe two or five or 17. On this device, there are, I don't even know, probably, probably 137 different translations of the Bible I mean, guys, there's, there's translations. We lose the New Living Translation. There's the English Standard, Standard Version. There's the New International Version. There's the NASB. You guys know, there's a Bible, like a Hawaiian Bible for, like, pidgin English. Yeah. Hey, mom, what you doing, man? It, it, it talks like that. There, there's a cowboy version of the Bible. No, there is. Y'all and stuff. It, it, it's all over the place. Here to, so here's the deal. Ignorance will not be your excuse. It might be somebody's excuse, and you look at and deal with that. But if you're going to go out there, well, what about them over there? you got a Bible in front of you, pal. So here's the deal also. Disobedience to God always has unpredictable, unintended consequences. Uzzah was not part of the, the tribe of the Levites or the Kohathites who were in charge of putting the ark on the, carrying it properly. All Uzzah is, he's part of the parade. He's part of like 30,000 people coming to town going, this is awesome and amazing. And the innocent person suffers for the sins of the guilty, of the priests, of the leaders who should have known their Bibles well enough to go, hey, we should be paying attention to this a little more carefully, not just making it up for ourselves or just following our own hearts because we're sincere people. And then here's the other one too. Our private issues always have public impact. Uh, here's the deal. In our culture today, Here's the thing that people say all the time. Well, come on, Steve. What business is it, is it of yours if I do this thing over here with money or with my marriage or with sexuality or with whatever the thing might be? It's just between me and God. It's my own private, personal 
issue. And I'm telling you, I've been a pastor now for close to, to, what, 40 years? That stuff you think is always just your own private little thing always ripples out and makes a mess out of stuff. Some of you raising families like this, like too, your dad had a private alcohol problem. How, how private was that for you? How private was it for you? Well, I'm not going to keep going here because I'm going to say something offensive and that won't be good for today. But your private stuff that you're doing, you think you're just getting away with it and nobody, nobody knows and nobody's going to find out about it. It always, always, always has public impact. It's never just personal, just not just me and God. And so David gets mad. And so what do we do when we get mad at God? We're frustrated. We can shake our fist at God. We can storm off like a, this makes me mad. Or we can do this. Here's the thing we do. I call it what, what, what preschool kids do when they're playing hide and go seek. You can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. We get mad. We, start, we, we do this kind of thing. Like, we can, I'll see you. You're right here, standing here. We'll do that kind of thing. We'll just kind of shake our fist at God and think we try to hide from him and think this is dumb. This is stupid. Uh, and we have to sometimes go, hmm, the things going on in my life, sometimes things going on in your life are not your fault. Sometimes it's somebody else's fault. You're the innocent victim of somebody else's problems and sin like we just talked about here with Uzzah that happened to him that day. <sighs> most of the time, though, most of the time, it's the person staring back at you in the mirror that has some problems. And maybe it's like this, okay, God, maybe I missed something. Maybe I should have known and I don't know, but maybe I missed something. And so what they do is they put this ark, this ark of God's covenant at Obed-Edom's house. That's a great name for those of you millennials that want to name your kid cool names. Obed-Edom. That would be awesome. And it says that David, he's there three months and they, it's like the word gets back to David back in the capital city. But man, God's blessing Obed-Edom like crazy. So David goes, we got to go get that ark. But this time, let's make sure we do this correctly. So back here in 2 Samuel 6. You'll see here, 2 Samuel 6, look at verse 13. It says, after the men who were, those of you have your Bibles here, what's it say there? Carrying the ark of the Lord. So they're carrying, it's not on a wagon this time. And then we can see over in the book of Chronicles. So here in Samuel, go past the books of Kings, past the books of Kings, and go to the book of Chronicles, to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. What the books of Chronicles do is they tell us the stories of, of Samuel and Kings, not as history, but as theology. They show the spiritual implications, the, what, what's going on there. First, uh, First Chronicles chapter 15. Look at verse 13. David's talking to the priest going, okay, we finally got our heads together and we actually read the Bible to see what it says. Look at verse 13. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. And he goes, okay, so we didn't get it right last time. We did get it right this time, so let's, let's do it right this time. And some of you are going, come on, Steve. 
what's the big deal? I mean, just poles in the ark? What's, why is God so preoccupied with that? And my answer is, I have no idea. But when you create a universe and speak it into existence in seven days, then you get to make the rules. So at some point, we got to go, look, God, we are human beings. We don't always get everything. And when you say to jump, we say how high. Even we don't always connect the dots and we can't always make logical sense to our little pea brain, human brains. Something to go, look, God's smarter than we are. So we just, we just do what he says. And so, uh, here, now, the first part of the story has been awful, right? People dying twice and the party goes off the rails. Now the party gets awesome and amazing here. Uh, it says, back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 14. It says there, And David danced before the Lord, sorry you Baptists, with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. He wasn't just kind of doing the, he was, I can't, I can't dance because he would traumatize you. No, no, it'd be bad. <laughs> He's going crazy, just dancing like a madman. I was raised Baptist. My feet still don't talk to my brain when it comes to <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so he's, he's so excited. David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of rams. They had a band out there. They're so excited, so amazed. And then they do, look down at verses 17 and 19. You can read them later on your own. They do what all God's people do forever and ever from time all the way from the beginning of time until now. Whenever there's a great celebration, we've got to eat. Let's have food. We're going to eat. So they, let's bring food out. We're going to eat and do all that kind of stuff. So uh, they have food out there. And it says that in chapter uh, verse 20, it tells us that David comes back to his home now to be all excited with his family, to bless his family. Because he's been out there being the king, doing all the things that kings are supposed to do. And he's like, family, this is awesome. Look what's happened here. Look at verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Machal, the daughter of Saul, he's the former king, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Look at verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michal, I was dancing underline this in your Bible, before the Lord, who chose me above your father <laughs> and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. He says, look, you thought it was embarrassing? Michal, you're embarrassed by this? He says, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. In fact, I'm willing to even embarrass myself. I'm like, I don't care what people think about me. And here we get a sense here in this story here of the sober-minded thing with the ark and people dying and awful things happening. And then David with exuberant joy dancing before God and dancing before this ark. You might go, well, David, you realize how serious this is? People died when they didn't do this right. Write this down here today. How we have to approach God. Here's what we learned from this story for us today. How we approach God. We want obedience and exuberance. We want serious-minded, sober-minded obedience and crazy passion exuberance. And here's the deal. I know for some of us today, 
you're going to do have a chance to do this this week in the follow-up questions here. Some of us over here on the obedient side, we're serious about God. We're raised like God's in charge, and he's the God, and he's the boss, and you just do what he says and just because he says so. And there's nothing wrong with that. Serious about God. Others of us over here are more like, bah, I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. And just dancing around and crazy. And what tends to happen is we tend to look at people on the other side. And the reason we are the way we are and so meshed into this is because they're way too tightly wound over there. They're just so uptight and about it. Like you want to tell them, like, so you said the joy of the Lord is your strength. How about you tell your face that? <laughs> over here, though, these people look over here and go, you guys are crazy over here. You never read your Bibles. You're just blah, crazy for God. And what God wants is both those things together. These are not contradictions, obedience and exuberance. Here's the deal. Standards matter. We still in the story. You can't just make stuff up and go, because I'm sincere, God doesn't care. No, God cares. You have to be people of God's word to know God's word. We can't just do what we want. But it can never, never, never be just about duty and obedience and compliance to the code. You know why it can't be that way? Because you get to a point and go, forget it. It won't last. Until you put some passion and excitement to it, it won't last. We need both of those things. So we need God's people to be excited about God. And what that means is we know obedience and exuberance. And this next little slide that will come up will tell some of the words to put this together. We want to have, we want to shudder before God and dance before him. We want to have fun and fearfulness. We want to, Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 I, this is underlined in my Bible. I come back to this one regularly. David here says, here's how God wants to approach him. Rejoice with trembling. And we think, well, rejoicing and trembling, how they'll go together. Look, I'm just telling you, God wants both of those things activated in our lives. And we want joy and excitement. There's just follow-up questions for you this week on the inside of your program, a thing called Intersect, that's designed to help us not just take the something we hear on a Sunday and then just walk out and forget about it. And the verses that are all there, all about how fun and exciting it is to fear God. Because most of you fear God is like, oh, fear. Fearing God does not mean being terrorized by God. It means like, whatever. that's not what he's talking about here. Take a look at those verses and let God speak into your heart about those. We want to make sure that we don't resolve, reserve all of our coldness for Christ and all of our enthusiasm for the world. It would be very easy to do that. Very easy out there to go, um, you know, some of you are going, well, it's just, you know, being all excited about God. And it just kind of feels weird to me. But when your child wins student of the month at the middle school, <laughs> you go crazy for that. The, the vacation you get to go on. Uh, your, <laughs> your team that does well. You, I, I've watched men, men who I know here, go, that's just not my deal here. And I've been at parties with them when their team does something or wins something, go crazy and lose their mind and go, like, shut up, dude. You get, you get excited about stuff that excites you. You're probably not excited about God yet. Um, the double-double. Animal style. With the... the they, I just discovered this the other day. So I'm way out of the loop here on fast food stuff right now. With the Neapolitan shake. They will put chocolate and strawberry vanilla in the same cup for you. It's awesome. And we need to learn... There's a modern-day uh, uh, woman, he's like, he's like a, has a prophetic voice in our culture, Shikone, uh, also known as Madonna. Madonna, yeah. The song years ago, Express Yourself. Our world's going crazy, expressing itself, expressing itself. God goes, 
What about me over here? Do you ever just kind of go crazy and be excited about me? And, and David doesn't go crazy for God because he's supposed to do it. Because what he's supposed to do that day is sit on a throne and then have choreographed dancers that do celebrations for him. And to be up there and be the king. And what he says is, look, what's happened here with David is this has been years and years and years of being excited about God. This is not something he just turns on the switch that day. So something we have to start doing is like getting your Bible, being at church more consistently, getting around God's people, all that stuff, more and more and more like that, and enthusiasm will come for you. And here's what happens. Here's his, it'll happen for you. It'll be both obedience and exuberance. It'll be, I need to learn to obey God with more fervency and determination. And I learned to, to do that. And he couldn't help himself. There's a great song uh, that's kind of an older song now because it's back from the 90s. where <laughs> That's the old stuff now. Um, called Undignified. Some of you may know it. It plays all over the place. It says, I will dance. I will sing to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering this passion in my soul. Leave my pride by my side and I'll become even more undignified than this. Some will say it's foolishness. We have to be careful out there. that We don't look around and look at people that are all exuberant in terms of how they obey God. Or how they display their enthusiasm for God and kind of go, what's wrong with them? And again, I, it, it can be difficult. It's easy to see a little weird and condemn, look, look down our noses at them and think. Like I know when I first became, uh, started getting serious about my relationship with God, I was raised in a Christian family, became a Christian early on in my life. But it wasn't really real, real, real for me until I was probably like my mid to late 20s. And I went to this church. Where instead of just a, you know, the organ and the piano and people singing songs out of a hymn book, they would sing songs. And this weird thing happened. I look around there and people would be standing there like this. Or like this. And I go, are they voting on something? <laughs> it's just, it's like, this feels weird. This is, I didn't get it. It was just so strange to me. Because I had never seen that before. Uh, and and <laughs> here's what I want to tell you too. As God begins to warm up your heart and soul to the truth of who he is and how awesome he is and how amazing Jesus Amen. is, there's going to be an impulse in your soul. An impulse in your soul. You'll feel something. And you have this impulse to go, okay, is it time? And so maybe at the beginning, like instead of just going, ah! <laughs> That might be too much for you. Maybe it's just you fold your hands and sing and whatever. Sometimes it might be what we call the, the juggling worship pose. <laughs> Nobody can see this one, right? And then just follow that impulse here. And here's the reason we don't do this, guys. The reason we don't do this is because we're all recovering from seventh grade and we have this imaginary audience. We think people are watching us. I'm telling you right now, nobody's watching you. You know how I know that? Because everybody else is afraid they're wa people are watching them. <laughs> You're not that important. Nobody's watching you. And so when you have that impulse the next time, just go with it a little bit. Experiment with it a little bit. And what will happen is you'll warm up to it. And we sing songs. Because here's the deal. Maybe the weird thing here is not people are going, yeah, amazing, all this. We sing, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Maybe the weird thing, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. <laughs> 
That's actually a little weird, isn't it? I love this here because David here says, look, he says, look, I was not dancing in front of him. I wasn't dancing to be a spectacle in front of the people. I was just so excited about God. And see, here's the challenge. When we start to worry too much about what people think about us, it'll impact obedience and exuberance. You start to think, a lot of people think of me if I really do conflict this way, or if I really have my single friends. Single, young singles, older singles out there. Sexuality anymore is like they assume what after what? Is it three dates now? Well, it's time to get busy. It's time to go. And you start going, I'm not going to do that anymore. You're going, what's wrong with you, pal? When you realize that heck, it doesn't matter what people think about me. I'm going to do what God, God says is right. I want to please God in this. Not worry about what you insecure, foolish, neurotic people posting ridiculous pictures of yourself all over the place think about me. I'm simply going to do what God says is best. And then your exuberance. When, you, when both of those things happen, understand, like that line of that song that says, I'll become even more undignified than this. Some will say it's foolishness. You know what you say about that? I don't care. Because what Jesus thinks about me is more important than what all the rest of you folks think about me combined. And once you get that, that moves from here of a belief in God to a conviction in your soul, I'm just telling you, then you won't care anymore. You'll be exuberant. You'll be excited. All that and more. We become truly, we become truly enthusiastic. You know what the word enthusiasm means? The, the etymology of it is en theos. En theos means in theo, theology, God. It means, it means to be possessed by God. And we guys, we do a pretty good job of that here. I think, man, what the band did this morning, we guys were singing here. I go, man, even in the first set of worship today, people were singing like crazy. And our kids are coming right now for a good reason here. Because I watch this when we get excited about baptism. You get a chance to be enthusiastic about somebody moving from death to life today. Yeah. Seeing their life turned around by Jesus uh, and, and do that. And so um, here's the final question, and then we're going to show you a fun video from camp. Uh, are we going to live for an audience of some or an audience of one? Live for the audience of one. You're, you'll be way more secure, way less neurotic, way less anxious. Who cares what everybody thinks the gym thinks about me? Who cares what you think about me? I care what God thinks about me. And you just, you just do that. And so um, our, we had the video we're going to show you right now uh, comes from camp this week. And at camp, some kids got baptized. Now, again, it was recorded on phone cameras, and the wind was crazy there. So you have to listen carefully to the stories. Take a look. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.